Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Leveling Up. This week, I have with me Megan Bickle, Head of Talent and Performance Management at Dropbox. We are going to be discussing how organizations can rethink how work gets done, navigate burnout, and ultimately support employees during these challenging times and the transition to hopefully less challenging times. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about all of these topics. Great. Well, you know, let me give a quick overview of your background, but then I'd love to have you introduce yourself a bit. So you come to us with over a decade of experience in talent management, focused on leveraging people analytics within talent management strategy, leadership development, designing culture, HR technology, and talent assessments. Megan has held roles at Ubisoft, GE Digital, and Dropbox, and is really passionate about organizations' cultures and shaping that culture through talent and organizational development initiatives. Megan, I'm really excited to dive into all of these different topics, and you know, we'll see where the conversation takes us. Can you share a little bit more about how you ended up in on your career path and what you're up to at Dropbox? Yeah, I I think like many of us, I ended up in my career on accident, like by accident. Though when I look back connecting the dots, everything makes sense. You know, I fell into organization development because a leader put me on a project to reimagine how we assessed the customer's experience. That led me to learning about the field about organization development, which then led to a cross-country jaunt to start grad school in San Francisco. And what better place to study OD surrounded by such forward-thinking organizations such as, you know, Google and Apple and Adobe and everyone and anyone. And it's just, it's, it truly has been a journey, you know, starting off taking on roles to accumulate new skills and learning about different organization structures and sizes and maturity models and, you know, what matters and how do you engage employees, which all of this comes to, you know, for me, OD is my true north in terms of where does an organization want to go? Where are they today? And then how do you help get there? Which really ties in nicely to everything that organizations have been grappling with in this unprecedented year and just the huge opportunity to reimagine, redesign, really challenge how we work, where we work, how does work get done? So I'm very excited, you know, for all of us to like fast forward a year from now <laughs> uh, as we get through like the final final hurdles of the pandemic. These are some really advanced forward-thinking technology companies that you've worked with. How do you find that maybe they've approached employee experience and employee engagement differently than your understanding of some more perhaps traditional organizations? And where do you see those shifts happening? within the space? Yeah, great question. It's interesting because you separate out these companies. You know, Ubisoft is in the gaming industry and it's a French-owned organization. And then GE Digital is the software organization inside the 100-year-old highly industrial conglomerate. And then Dropbox. You know, Dropbox features a CEO who was originally the founder, and this is really the only company he's ever worked for. So on paper, like these are very unique organizations, and they're all approaching you know the employee experience or talent management 
differently. So, you know, if I take GE Digital and just like the focus around the rigor of talent development and using analytics to really devise strategy and tying everything back through the lens of where is the organization going? So heavy, so imagine, you know, all the spreadsheets and charts and analysis to really understand where are we, what do we need? How do we close the gap? while continuously pulsing on you know, the employee experience and trying to pivot uh, amid you know, a difference in tenure, for example. GE you know, has long-time tenures. GE Digital you know, has tenure of two to four years. And so different audiences create different problems and different needs to rethink, you know, how do you engage employees? Like, some people, you know, may a year ago <laughs> have joined Dropbox because of the on-site cafeteria and, and perks and amenities versus, you know, now how do you woo somebody to come join your company when you can't really sell them on, you know, all the shiny things? Absolutely. Before we keep going, I'd love to hear, you know, when you think about employee experience overall, how is it? that you're defining what an employee experience should be. And I imagine it's probably a little bit different from each of these organizations that you mentioned. What is your general approach to saying, this is really the experience that we're, we're going to strive for and make sure that we're developing? Yeah, I love that question. I think too often people just focus on one element of the employee experience versus really looking at the whole life cycle. And so, you know, for me, it's, from the time that you're having a first conversation with a candidate to then them joining the organization and all of those touch points around, you know, career, performance, feedback, the organizational culture, you know, learning and development all through while perhaps, you know, the off- offboarding. I always think of it through the lens of, you know, if somebody leaves the organization or current state they're with an organization they're always a brand ambassador for that company, right? Like we, we equate people with their employer. And so A, when somebody leaves the company, you're hoping they're sending a positive message, but also just knowing that you're always on, like you're always affiliated with that brand. And so how does the company treat you as an employee? I think, you know, a great example of this is for anybody who's interviewing and just recognizing like every touch point with, you know, a talent acquisition sourcer, recruiter, coordinator, they're a representation of the company. You know, it's like, how are they treating me as a candidate? How will I be treated if I join this organization? What will it feel like to work here? And so just like zooming out, like at the macro level, the employee experience, it's like you're inviting somebody in your home. What does that feel like? Which of some of that is, you know, the cultural elements, but just, you know, the style of, how do you interact? Like, what are the, the meeting norms? And you all of that kind of like dovetails into what's unique for the organization. It's so interesting. You know, we had a team member recently leave us and go to another exciting company that was more aligned with their long-term dreams in the gaming industry. And I have to say, you know, for all that we do, we're not gamers and or as a company, we're not a gaming industry. And, and this person recently came back and subscribed to some of our newsletters and reached out to say like how much she had learned with us. And I think, you know, that is part of that employee experience, right? That's what we are aiming for. And being able to say somebody's sort of an alumni of your organization. You mentioned GE Digital has a two-year tenure versus a you know 30-year tenure of a general employee. And we've got to start thinking more in kind of what 
Reed Hoffman would refer to as those sort of, what did he call them? Tours of duty, right? And approaching it that way. So I absolutely love how you think about this. You know, not to jump into some really tough questions here, but you mentioned the challenges that the world is facing right now. And I'm curious, you know, as you look over the past 12 months, 14 months, we're kind of getting into it now, I guess. What do you find has been the greatest challenge facing employee employers moving from that in-person office perks and culture design to being more remote and trying to engage employees in a new way? Like how, how is that manifesting from your perspective? I think it's so hard to pick just one greatest challenge. You know, at, at the beginning of the pandemic, like if we go back 13 months ago, you know, we quickly pivoted to the Zoom life, right? Zoom and nine to five. And we, the collective, we sought to recreate those in-person norms, right? Like we have meetings, we had virtual happy hours and coffee and lunches. We, you know, embraced video on because we missed seeing each other's faces. You know, perhaps there was group text messages that, that sprung up, but then it became, you know, then weeks turned into months, which turned into a year. And all while we kept the pace of work and tried to manage, you know, there's still a global pandemic happening and, you know, layering in, you know, the fatigue of say parents that were now grappling with doing their job and homeschooling their children for so many people that lost a loved one, you know, in this last year, just the emotional toll uh, the toll on those that are were living alone versus, you know, I think of the San Francisco Bay Area where it's not uncommon for more junior employees to have multiple roommates. Can you imagine like living in a home with three or four other roommates and everyone all of a sudden is working from home and maybe not leaving your bedroom because you're meetings all day long? So I feel like, you know, if we look backwards, you know, everything started off with good intentions. And then we just hoped it was, you know, a minor, like, oh, a month, two months, a minor blip, and we'll, we'll get back to normal. But time continued on, and it took a while for organizations to kind of hit pause and say, okay, this might be happening longer than we anticipated. How do we break the cycle? What do we do differently? How do we reprioritize work? What things do we need to do to help our employees survive? and thrive. Now, fast forward a year from now, burnout is like starting to bubble up. I was just on a call where there was a researcher, you know, sharing some of the impacts on burnout, you know, talking about the social isolation and how that for some people that are struggling with the intrinsic motivation or even finding joy in their job because of the loss of social connections. And so going back to the pace of work hasn't changed, like no company is giving a free pass and saying, we're going to lower our goals and expectations because the world is crazy. And then there's the blurriness of work and home, right? Like we're living at work and sleep, like the lines have just blurred. And so I think all of this is kind of manifesting itself where people are so anxious and looking forward to the new normal but we're still in the thick of things. And, you know, unfortunately it's like we have this collective exhausted workforce 
So it's not just like one challenge. I really feel like it's the collection of all these pieces that have kind of like come together and haven't really been solved because we're just kind of hoping things will get better. And it's it's going to be, I think, a rough couple of months while we're like going through that, that process. Sorry, excuse me. It's, it's interesting because we have a lot of organizations, less in the tech space, less in the Bay Area, right? But that are going back to work and have been for six months. And they're kind of facing the problem that many organizations are facing today, which is how do we do this safely? And how do we make people feel like they can come back to work if they're in an environment where they they need to be, or maybe they're in a location where you know exposure to the, vac- the virus has been lower and they can work safe more safely in person. What are you seeing in terms of companies approaching, you know, welcoming people back into the office. And I know that you can't speak to Dropbox in particular, but kind of broadly welcoming people back to the office, welcoming people into an environment where they do feel safe. Because like you said, this is, this is part of the employee experience, but it's a tough part. (laughs) (laughs) It is great question. I was just reading an article yesterday by Salesforce. They announced, you know, they're going to start welcoming people back. And I think the vaccination, non-vaccinated, like that's going to pose an interesting conundrum. Like how do you handle this safely, right? Like people, like we're, humans are social creatures. Like, let's just be honest. Most of us miss people, but we're still in a global pandemic. And so it really does tie to the safety factor. A former colleague sent out a note just kind of asking for some benchmarking in terms of what are organizations you know, initially thinking of how do we bring people back? You know, Facebook and Google both announced that in May, they're opening in phases, I think like 10% employees, you know, at, at the beginning, you know, and I think there's a lot to kind of unpack in terms of how many employees can you have, you know, masks, no masks, what is the purpose of coming back into the office, right? Like everyone has to accept that at least in the coming months, it won't look like anything that was experienced prior to March of 2020. So even this notion of, am I going back into an office and able to meet my coworkers, coffee, like what will meetings look like? Will we be limited to the number of people in meeting rooms? Will I get to sit next to my peers or will we have markers at our desks? And so I think there's more that's unfolding. Like, I mean, the interesting it's both an opportunity and a challenge is there's no playbook for this, right? Like everyone's trying to do the best and support employees needs and wants, but doing it safely. And so I think, you know, more to come, a lot of the trends that I'm hearing in the tech industry are targeting, you know, a fall return to work, you know, so giving people enough time to, embrace like what that will look like and to have the timeline to really fill out some of those details. So for example, like Dropbox has announced they're going to be a virtual first company. And what that means is you'll only come into the office one day a week. And so there's more to unpack around how do you like manage that? What does that look like? Does the HR team come in on Mondays and engineers come in on Tuesdays? And so you start with this higher level, like, okay, one day a week, you know, we will come in to collaborate, but then you have to double and triple click in terms of, well, how does that actually work? Like, how do people come together? So I think there's more that everyone's kind of embracing through a learning mindset of what will this look like? And, you know, the important thing is to keep challenging ourselves of 
what do our employees want and expect of us, right? Like if we're choosing to be virtual first versus fully remote versus hybrid, does that align to what our employee population wants? So I think more to come, but it's a fabulous question. And that was going to be my next question, which is how much of this is rooted in organization strategy, right? It's cheaper, let's face it, to not have as many offices around. It's cheaper to not have to feed an entire workforce if you've been feeding them for free before. So, you know, you have these incentives to stay remote. And then, of course, you have the opposite incentives to be in the office, right? This argument that there some people are maybe more productive or you have serendipitous moments you can leverage. But the studies that I've seen have shown that enough individuals want to have a hybrid environment. They want to come into the office sometimes. They want to have the flexibility to say, you know, actually tomorrow I'm going to work from home. And that is the toughest part about this because we went from mostly an entirely in the office environment to mostly an entirely out of the office environment. And now leaders like yourself have to figure out <laughs> how do we make this work as a hybrid structure. So we'll be watching Dropbox but and you know Salesforce and Google, Facebook to see how this pans out in the coming year. But it is interesting to, to understand how much of that is rooted in employee desire, employee demands, which leads me to my next question, which is about retention. So we have a lot of individuals who maybe switched organizations right at the height of the pandemic or perhaps the year before or recently, how have you seen retention kind of become an issue or not an issue? I'm just curious, you know, we've seen it happen. Is it more of an issue today than it was maybe six months ago? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was on a webinar with Laszlo Bach of Humu. So he's a former Googler and I might be mispronouncing his last name. So my apologies. But he was, he used the phrase retention cliff which I thought was fascinating. And so he was you know, discussing this as, hey, we're about to hit this cliff of people that have just been like hanging on to their jobs to get through this are going to leave. It will be really interesting to see how much of the employee exodus, I, I don't even know what to call it, is going to be tied to my company just announced they're going to be virtual first and I want more in person. So I'm leaving versus somebody that they don't ever want to go back into an office and their company is saying, we're going to be a hybrid. You need to come in two or three days a week. And so it's going to be really fascinating. Like Again, it's this double-edged sword of challenge and opportunity of, you know, for those companies that are choosing to be, you know, fully remote versus perhaps virtual first, how it changes where they can source talent from in terms of locations that uh, they may be able to create hubs, you know, relating to a virtual or fully remote strategy versus companies that are more traditional and leaning towards a hybrid model or even how to break apart the norm of where is your role tied to? Traditionally, the work that I've always done has always been tied to a headquarters location, which is interesting, right? Like, where are these companies headquartered? They're all headquartered in you know, San Francisco. Not all of them, but so it's interesting to kind of think about, you know, for myself, like career opportunities of, well, what cities would I like to live in? But then having to map it back in terms of, okay, are companies headquartered in those locations that would then have a need for my, my skills and talent versus, oh, 
if I want to live in, say, Chicago, can I find a company that maybe is headquartered in San Francisco, but they have a satellite office in Chicago and then they're flexible that maybe I just go to HQ once a month and get to go to the satellite office and meet people in real life? Like, it's kind of fascinating to break it apart in terms of all of these opportunities, but also the challenge of the data you're 100% spot on, like the data shows like 75, 80% of employees want hybrid. They want multiple days in the office with people. But it's going to be fascinating where there's the tension of companies like Reddit and Coinbase and Dropbox that are carving a line in the sand in terms of limiting perhaps how much in-person collaboration occurs. And you know, some of these companies made decisions back in October of last year when we had only been in the global pandemic for what, five, six months at that time. So I think there's also the balance of companies stating a, a future state claim of who will we be, not necessarily like, I mean, who could have known how long this would endure? And so here we are a year later, and I think My hypothesis is a lot of people, because it's been so long, are really missing that in-person interaction um, and the social connections. So tying it all back to it's going to be fascinating what happens in the next six months. You know, I'm hopeful that this will shake up where talent is. How can companies tap into different markets to hire great talent? And hire great talent that perhaps don't want to live in Austin or Seattle or San Francisco. They just want to stay in, I don't know, Boise, Idaho or Alabama and do great work. So lots of like, it's going to be so interesting. But yeah, I think with every company kind of carving a line in the sand in terms of who are they, but then there's the tension of, well, what do employees want? And at what point will we have more data to really show the impact of in the loss of in-person collaboration. You know, if you think of organizational network analysis or ONAs, they're amazing to really map out who talks to who. And so this past year has been a great social science experiment for companies to use ONAs. Uh, so think of onboarding new employees and to run an analysis of Megan joins this new organization. Let's map out in the first month who who is she connecting with? But then also to look at like who isn't she connecting with or to what degree of conversations? Because right now you can run you can access the data of Zoom meetings and Slack chats and emails versus in a hybrid or when we're in the office. I always gave the example of if somebody did an ONA they would think that I never spoke to my data analyst. But the reality was he sat right next to me and we talked all the time, but it just wouldn't show up in an ONA. Uh, and so I, I digress a little, um, but I think there's a lot of interesting data that will come out of like, yes, productivity is high, but then you look at you know the number of meetings have increased, the number of time spent in meetings have increased, the number of emails have increased. So it's were productive to a degree of like there's higher output, but at what cost of innovation or creativity or collaboration? Absolutely. What cost and and how can we see that soon? It's interesting when you think about this retention cliff that you mentioned, 
there's no way to know how it will pan out. But what we can be sure of is the, the companies that came out early on and said, you know what, we're just going to do this. We're, I think it was like Twitter and I think Reddit was fairly early on in the process compared to others. And they even said, hey, we're also going to pay every you know, candidate the same amount or not the same amount, but fairly for their role. And it doesn't matter if you live in Alabama or if you live in San Francisco, which to somebody living in Alabama is awesome. To somebody living in San Francisco, eventually that will start to become an equilibrium where you know, maybe the most competitive place to live is not San Francisco if you want to have an affordable lifestyle. Or maybe those of us who live in San Francisco will have a cheaper cost of living soon. We'll see. But, but you know, being able to, to go back to first principles and say, you know, we're not just adjusting to working like we did in the office remotely, right? You mentioned that earlier. But instead we're saying, what does it mean to be fulfilled at work, to be productive, to get that social interaction, to be collaborative and innovative in a way that we can uh, come up with new ideas without burning out, without having a million meetings, without needing to feel like we're always on. And so I'm going to, you know, put a, a reminder on my calendar to look, you know, a year from now and listen to this, this conversation again, because I do think that the best companies are the ones that will say, let's throw everything out the window. Let's start over. Let's think through what actually matters now in this new environment. And it sounds like you're in an organization that is going to be shaping that, right? Thinking through that from, from the ground up. So it's one thing to say people will even kind of come and go based on remote versus not remote, right? Sure. Like if you've got kids at home and you prefer to be at home or you prefer not to be at home or whatever, that might shape where you work. The other part of this is how companies are supporting their employees from a benefits perspective. And when we talked before, you mentioned some really interesting ideas around, you know, how we can see organizations start to change the way that they support their employee base, whether that's from a training perspective or, you know, perks, whatever side of it. Can you share some thoughts on what you're seeing and where you hope this space will head in the next 12 months? Yeah, I feel like last year really opened the floodgates for companies to recognize the need to discuss and support mental health. You know, it took a global pandemic to normalize talking about mental health at work. And so with that, you're seeing companies leverage resources such as modern health and provide employees with access to coaching. You're just kind of recognizing we're all struggling. You know, I've, I've heard the phrase of, or the example given, you know, it's like we're all on the Titanic but we're on different floors. And so our experience of the Titanic hitting an iceberg may look different, but we're all on the Titanic. And so you know, access to modern health, monthly wellness days. I found it fascinating companies that reviewed data of you know, how many employees are actually taking time off. And when they found out like employees aren't taking time off, just kind of forced it by creating implementing whether it was like monthly mental health days or, you know, full on shutdowns. I was, somebody was just sharing with me that they partner with Glint and Glint had just said like, Hey, we're, we're out, our entire company is shut down for the week. Like we're supporting our employees, mental health, everyone's burned out, we're, we're closing. And so, you know, those are some solutions. It's still, I think like a bandaid of, okay, we'll just like force people to take time off. Here's some coaching. I think where it starts to get a little more 
innovative is going back to your comment around like really challenging everything we know about how does work happen, right? You know, and so many of us at the beginning of the pandemic shifted our in-office experience and norms to online, right? Like I go into the office at 8 a.m. So I'm online at 8 a.m. versus really rethinking, well, what work is happening asynchronously? When do we have to come together to collaborate? What are our norms around how we have a meeting? I think all those then kind of like dovetail in, into how is the company supporting mental health amid this last year? And so you know, it is bigger than just here's some coaching, but it, it really does kind of spiral in terms of what are we doing now to set ourselves up for success You know, six months, a year from now, and really being thoughtful around the opportunity of challenging, how do we work? Where do we work? How does work get done? Why do we meet? I even noticed Google added a feature like smart meetings. So instead of you know a 30 minute meeting, it will default to 25 minutes, just like little things to help us better manage our, our time and wellness. That buffer makes such a difference, right? Five minutes to run and get a glass of water, have a bio break. Those are things that um, would naturally happen in an office because you just wouldn't be that back to back if you needed to walk to a different campus or, you know, head to a conference room that's a four or five minute walk away. So remembering to also just block out time, I think we'll start to see people managing their schedules differently than we are today. Right now, it's kind of like everything's open. If I have three meetings in a row, I throw a buffer on my calendar always because I want that time back for clarity, resetting, right? Having a moment. The training part of this, the benefits of it, right? How how are we seeing training change then? It becomes more difficult, particularly for junior employees who maybe haven't worked in the work environment as much and they're really relying on shadowing other people and understanding. Do you have any experience or tips on what companies could do to approach supporting employees who are in a new role and, and really identifying where they have gaps virtually? Like, how, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's such a loaded question, right? <laughs> you know, there, there's a part in terms of really planning for the future and kind of thinking through what training has to occur in person. I think where my own bias gets in the way is around like the stickiness of training. Like, how do you make a virtual training sticky? And what I mean is like that behavior change, right? Like, so what is the behavior that I want somebody to do differently as a result of this training? And can I actually do that through a webinar, you know, a virtual, like have everyone come and then we'll break people in, into breakout groups. I mean, there's so much science behind how we, how we learn. And it, it ties to that social connectivity of if you and I are in a workshop and we're paired up to do some role playing and just like that interaction of us going through it together leads to the stickiness. There's still, I think, a gap in actually the research showing how effective in the behavior change can online training be. I think this is another example of, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, everything went virtual. And so trainings then became, you know, PowerPoints and then, you know, more masterful of like, oh, we can use breakout rooms and tools became prevalent around, you know, virtual whiteboarding to kind of allow more inner interconnectiveness, but there's still a gap. I will say I recently attended a webinar and it was on culture 
but the company that hosted it, um, it's a company called Verbella, and they support a virtual work environment. And what really caught me off guard was, you know, I showed up at this meeting and I had to customize my avatar. And then I had to walk across the campus to the auditorium where the session was held. And as I walked across the campus, like I heard the clicking of my shoes. I also got lost. I was like, where's the auditorium? So it made me feel like in real life, if I showed up at a company that was hosting an event, I'm like, where do I go? And there was like a little voice saying, you know, like, can we help you? So I walked, I found the auditorium. I walked through these doors and there's a speaker on stage. And then I had to take my seat. And what really caught me, Mary, was it brought me back. Like, I felt like I was actually there versus just clicking join meeting on my Zoom call and sitting back and looking at my face. And so, you know, I share all that as an example of where technology can support that learning and behavior change component of making us more involved in the interactiveness versus I just joined a Zoom meeting and I'm sitting here you know, having a conversation versus like, I had to walk to the meeting and take my seat, which forced me to pay, like, pay a little more attention, or at least I interacted with it differently. And so, you know, that's, you just kind of where things can go in terms of training, while we're still navigating, you know, everything is virtual, specifically for the tech industry, I recognize there are some companies that people are already back in the office. I think for junior employees you know, who want more shadowing or are looking to seek out those connections, it is a struggle that everything is more formal, right? Like I have to reach out to you and set up time on your calendar and hope that you're not hitting the wall of Zoom fatigue versus hoping that I could just bump into you at the coffee machine in the office. And so it's this balance of putting in the work right now and just reaching out knowing you don't have somebody that's, you know, saying, Hey, do you want to shadow me? Right. So there is, so getting over the hurdle of it's a little more formal, keep at it, you know, and ask people to make other intros and also don't limit yourself to your organization. You know, it's also been fascinating amid the last six months of all of the communities that have sprung up to bring people together. I got an invite to a group called Lunch Club. That's been such a fun way to get to know people that I would never in a million years meet in my, you know, Zooming nine to five life. And so there's an AI component where you put in the things that you want to talk about and the system pairs you with people. And so I've been having interesting conversations with people that work in similar fields, but also have similar interests like running and hiking and traveling. And so there's that balance of how can you get to know great people outside of your company to continue your own career development while recognizing, you know, we're still in this interesting limbo. So again, you know, I think the theme of our conversation today is there's so many, it's a double-edged sword of challenges and opportunities, right? Like there's so many great opportunities outside of what our worlds looked like over a year ago, but also there's the layer of you know, the burnout, the isolation, the fatigue, the wanting the new normal and the social connection. And how do we continue to seek out those opportunities while we're taking smaller steps towards getting to the next normal, the, the new better? <laughs> I don't even know what to call the future state yet. 
sure we'll look back and we'll have a fun nickname for it. But this idea of having a more interactive training environment and having more stickiness within your training, you know, of course, Marlowe is a training company. And one of the things that we recognize really early on is that a lot of those one-off trainings aren't sticky anyway, right? But I, I see your point though, right? Being able to be shoulder to shoulder with somebody having a conversation and practicing what you just learned as a whole new layer of um, being able to hang on to that. And then on the flip side, as you said, double-edged sword all the time, there's something nice about being able to continue that learning and have maybe sessions that are more repetitive, or you can come back to something you mentioned earlier, having access to a library of meetings or resources that, you know, you can maybe jump into instead of going to the person and asking them, or we have new resources that we didn't have when things were always in person. So I'm, I am interested to see, you know, is it a question of helping people be curious or aware of what resources they have and really setting them up to, to take the lead on their own training and then potentially a combination of, of shadowing and some new digital way, the, the, the virtual reality world that you described before, I could see how that would be amazing for shadowing. Can you imagine if you could just walk up to any, and I know that there are tools out there that do this, but you could just walk up to a meeting and sit down and, and listen in and nobody would be bothered by it. And whereas Zoom is very, we love Zoom, we use it all the time, but it's very, you either have an invitation to this meeting or you don't, right? So we'll see how that evolves. As we get close on time here, I'm curious, I know another loaded question for you, but I am curious what you believe work itself, right? The act of contributing to an organization and, and helping them produce whatever it is that they're producing, whether that's a service or a product. How do you feel that the idea of work will shift in the coming 12, 24 months? We're just on lots of forecasting today. I love it. It's so fun. And I agree. We're going to have to listen to this episode a year from now. Like, huh, here's all the things that we learned. <laughs> Oh goodness. What do I think work will look like a year from now? Well, you know, first of all, I truly hope organizations are using this time to reimagine and challenge the norms. Like how does work happen? You know, what does this look like? From a cultural perspective, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to reset. So that, that aside, we know coming out of this, some companies will revert back to exactly what they've been doing since pre-pandemic. And some companies will look drastically different. I definitely, you know, I was just reading an article on work trends by Microsoft and they were highlighting, you know, flexible work is here to stay. And I don't doubt that anyone would argue with that. I feel like the pandemic really highlighted, look at all the jobs that be, can be done virtually versus, you know, the norms of you must come in the office five days a week. So with that, like my hypothesis is hybrid work will be the norm. People will have more flexibility of where they live as opposed to roles being tied to locations like, you know, San Francisco, Seattle, and Austin. You know, as you mentioned, I love the example of Reddit, you know, from a compensation perspective in terms of we're just going to pay, like we're going to benchmark comp based on San Francisco. Go wherever you want here, like versus a company that is saying, okay, you're a software engineer. Here's what your salary will look like if you live in Seattle versus Denver versus San Francisco versus Boise, Idaho. Because then you quickly get into the inequities of why are my skills worth less if I'm living in Boise than San Francisco? Like, yes, I realize San Francisco has an atrocious cost of living, but who wants to feel like they're worth, their skills are worth less because of where they're choosing to reside? So 
again, hopefully more flexibility and technology will improve, right? Like we'll see more things such as that virtual workspace versus, you know, Zoom and Teams being the only go-to. And it's, it's almost like two, two-dimensional if you think of it and compared with like this virtual reality, you know, I have an avatar and I'm literally walking across campus. Also, eight to five structures will flex. You know, we'll see more things such as core collaboration hours of like a set four-hour block where you meet with people versus it being this, I work from eight to five. <laughs> you know, so that way you can really have the flexibility to structure your day as you need to accommodate the both work and your personal life, uh, because, you know, this last year has really sh- allowed people to be the, their authentic self. And, you know, I think wellness is going to be a core pillar of HR strategy. You know, so wellness, employee experience, health, mental health, right? And like, how does that tie into burnout and just supporting employees? So those are a few of my, my hypotheses of what will work look like a year from now. And while it might be easy to say that it's like the companies who can at least offer that are hopefully doing the right thing and the, the companies that don't are doing the wrong thing, I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but like I, I can see how like for myself, that would be a tempting thing to say, well, for the organizations that are kind of just going, oh gosh, what are we going to do, right? Or they're starting to think about it. Are you seeing pitfalls in any space of just like companies who are ignoring this? What What's happening I feel like that was a loaded question again. Sorry, <laughs> Megan. I'm just throwing them all at you today. But yeah, like where, where are companies kind of falling short in, in your eyes? Yeah. So <laughs> I love the loaded question. Again, the world, according to Megan, companies are falling short when they're not asking any of these questions, right? Like, so companies that are companies that, for example, were very quick as soon as their states said, it's okay to bring people back in the office where companies mandated employees, regardless if their work was critical or non-critical, right? Versus a company that's like, okay, yeah, so Michigan is reopening, but we're still going to have everyone work from home because we think it's the, it's the right thing. It's the safe thing. Also companies that AHR isn't you know, a critical part of the future strategy you know, because it's not just, are we hybrid? Are we remote? Are we virtual first? It is more of, well, what are our skills that we need in the next three years? What do we have today? Where are people that have these skills? Where, you know, have our employees left the physical geographical area? Like, let, let's take, you know, a company that's headquartered in San Francisco. How many employees left the Bay Area this last year? Where did they go? Do they want to return? And so there is a lot of needing to pulse the employees, you know, to find out what does your organization want while coupled with what does the organization need? You know, as you mentioned, like there's a lot of benefits for a company to scrapping the office environment, right? I mean, gosh, didn't Pinterest pay like $80 million or something to cancel development on a second office because you just the pivot of how many employees are commuting into San Francisco. And so going back to the, you know, where companies are falling short, A, they're not thoughtfully pulsing their employees. They're not using this opportunity to kind of re-challenge what do we need in the future, right? Like we all know the half-life of skills and looking at average tenure and critical roles and how do people learn 
And what are the things that entice people? You know, again, going back to the some companies in the, in the tech industry in the Bay Area entice based on here's all the perks. Are those perks going to be what entice people in the future? Or are they looking for, I don't know, 100% health insurance paid for or, you know, stipends to cover Wi-Fi for, you know, at-home access or here's a, a discount code to have some food door dashed, you know, once a week. And so it, it really is kind of everything's on the table challenge how does work get done what are our cultural tenets how does that show up who do we want to be in the future and so there there is so many opportunities there's also a lot of work and it's a lot of work needing to involve those that are in you know the talent management or people analytics or organization development while coupled with really listening to your employees which is where you know I'm intrigued by the the tension of companies that may be already choosing to be 100% virtual or remote, you know, virtual first or fully remote. But if their employees want more, how is that going to pan out, you know, in this attrition <laughs> retention cliff? And so, you know, I'd like to say it's going to be fascinating like a year from now to see who's the front runner in some of these redesigns and new employee experiences. My fear is that it's going to be companies coasts because that's traditionally where more strategic, innovative, forward-thinking HR functions reside. And the Midwest is kind of three or four years behind everyone else. But who knows? It could be, you know, again, all this great talent from the coast that left their overpriced apartments and decided to settle in you know, the Midwest, perhaps they'll be able to influence. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what shakes out over the next year. I'm really excited for it all too. And I think we have in our spaces, right, where we are in our, our careers and the industries that we pay close attention to, I think we're going to have a, a really great bird's eye view of what's happening. So we'll have to reconvene in a year and see how all of this pans out. As we wrap up here, I do have two of my go-to questions because I've just got to ask you, given your experience and, and your interests, what are your resources these days that you go to? You've mentioned a few different webinars, but what resources would you recommend to other people, whether that's books or podcasts? Yeah, it's such a great question, right? Because it really gets at the, how do you continue to learn? Like, what are you dialed into? So first of all, I'm a part of the Talent Development Think Tank, which is an amazing group of professionals in human resources, talent management, org development, learning and development from all over the world um, in companies of different sizes and sectors. And so we meet on a weekly basis. In fact, earlier today, it was the think tank that hosted a researcher discussing burnout. And so we had a riveting conversation talking about different elements of burnout and, and how too many companies are addressing burnout as an individual issue versus tackling it as an organizational, you know, systemic issue. So talent development think tank, there's a podcast, there's a group you can join, there's um, lots of publications. So that's one. Also, lately, I've been really fascinated by Microsoft's people analytics data that they've been publishing. So Microsoft has access to some amazing people data, right? Like, you know, they're able to do their own organizational network analysis and then share it with the rest of us. And so earlier this week, I was 
you know, combing through one of their reports talking about, you know, how much did meetings increase? You know, how much work has, you know, shifted the number of like IMs, like the hours that people work. So really look like having a better understanding of some of the data from a company like Microsoft that given their sheer size can, you know, can be universal for the rest of the world. Um, So those are a couple of my favorite go-to resources. Right. And we'll share the links to those in the show notes because I think, you know, this is the whole idea. Let's share what what's working well for each other and, and hopefully learn more along the way, especially like you said, we're operating without a handbook right now. So <laughs> let's see how this goes. And then the final question I have for you is what advice would you give to your former self at you know an earlier stage in your career, maybe before you were a leader, when you're transitioning into a leadership role, for how things might play out. You know, we have a lot of listeners who are early on in org development or thinking about their leadership strategy. So I always ask that question. Yeah, it's such a great question to end. So if I could go back, you know, to the beginning of my career, like when I first started taking on leadership roles, I would find a coach. So you know, I mentioned you know that I'm a runner, and as a runner, like. I'm in a running group. I see a physical therapist, right? Like I, I regularly seek the advice of others. It's not just, I wrote my own training plan. Oh, I even have, I have a running coach that writes my training plan for me. So, you know, I use that example of like, I seek out a lot of professionals and sports is a great example, right? Like look at Tom Brady. How many coaches do you think he has? Yet too often in our careers as professionals, when coaching is offered to us, you know, sometimes we say no, like, oh, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I don't need it. So if I can go back in time, I would seek out a coach and recognize, you know, continually developing my leadership skills and understanding my style and how to flex my style and just be more intentional around that is, you know, great advice that I would go back in time and be like, you need a coach. Invest in this because it will pay off in dividends. And at each point in your career, the people you work with in your teams are going to need something different from you. And just having that external partner to help you navigate that and, and help you because they're there to set you up for success. So can't say enough about the value of coaching. Thank you. That's really helpful. Megan, this has been so much fun. We have a ton of information that I hope our listeners will take away and apply, right? Just thinking through a lot of these challenges themselves for their organizations and identifying where their company needs to go in the next 12 months. So I will post all of your resources in the show notes. And um, in the meantime, you know, we look forward to being able to host you again in the future. Thank you so much, Mary. This has been so fun. And I've really loved the theme around you looking into our crystal ball and hypothesizing what will things look like a year from now? Again, it's a double-edged sword of there's so many opportunities while coupled with challenges, but you know, it's fun to be in this space and help leading the way. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes. 